Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Mavens podcast. And I'm here today with Kyle Tut, the CEO and co-founder of Pinata. Hey, Kyle, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so happy. So I was just, I'm just laughing because you're from Nebraska and there's always a place for good tech companies somewhere between coasts. So it's so good to have you on. Why Nebraska? I'm just going to ask you real quick on you. Why are you from there or? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm originally from Fargo, North Dakota. So even like farther in the middle of nowhere, but I went to school down here. And the biggest thing for me being in Nebraska is I never felt it was kind of like a barrier to me. I was able to, you know, find the talent. I was able to build Pinata from Nebraska. And I think that some of the unique components of its its culture has actually allowed me to, you know, succeed in a crazy market like NFTs. Yeah, it's just, it's funny when we were started chatting earlier and you told me where you're from, because you always think of NFTs and all the tech coming either from, you know, the West Coast, from LA, Seattle, San Francisco, or from Miami, New York. Or maybe Texas is also becoming pretty tech savvy from Austin, but it's always good when we find really smart leaders and tech people everywhere else around. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are right now. Yeah. It's good that you're in a place where you can expand. You have no barriers to entry. But I, I think this is why, isn't that why we have the internet, why we're all on Zoom these days and why we're right. NFTs, because it doesn't matter where we are in the world. But this is, I mean, this is awesome. I, I love that you're in this space, but I do want to grill down a little bit with you. On yeah. this, it's such a controversial space with NFTs right now. But like, now Pinata, when the site's cute, Pinata, obviously the colors, everything's eye-catching, but let's get down to like, seriously, what's behind the branding. What does Pinata do? I mean, are you guys building NFTs? Are you minting? Are you doing the metaverse? I mean, where exactly does Pinata film this whole Web 3.0 experience? Yeah, absolutely. So for some people that may not know this, uh, and I'll try not to get too technical, but with NFTs, there's the token that is sitting on a blockchain. And then that token is pointing at some sort of data or file sitting somewhere else. That somewhere else in the NFT space is typically us. So that means we help NFT projects and marketplaces manage and distribute their, their media or their files at scale. So whether it's images, videos, full applications, whatever that NFT ultimately is, we help those, those NFT projects distribute that to all of their buyers and, and the people that are consuming the, the NFT content. So you guys are just kind of like the pipeline from yeah, the benefits. Absolutely. Like OpenSea. I mean, you guys are the ones that are just like you guys are kind of up the blockchain. Yeah. So if, you, if you're like consuming or you're looking at an NFT on OpenSea, there's a high probability that that's coming ultimately from our infrastructure. And we're making sure that it gets there fast and looks good and, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So so we're minting, we have NFTs before as we send them over to OpenSea, you're the pipeline that's delivering them safe, secure. Yep. You're, you're a blockchain for NFTs. How, like, when did you decide to, I mean, create this? I know we chatted a little bit. And you, you guys, Pinata is a few years old. So you guys launched in what, 2019? 2018, yeah. 2018. Like how, like, I know the NFTs was a huge fad for a while. Everybody wanted NFT. 
all the bragging rights. I've got I bought, you know, I sold and bought an NFT for a hundred grand, sold it for three million. It just became this yeah. huge frenzy storm, right? It's like kind of the Thanksgiving, like the Black Friday. Everybody was <laughs> crazy. But then all of a sudden, like it just died out and NFTs are just no longer becoming that driving force. How does that work? I mean, for you guys, did you guys kind of slow down to see and pivot or did you just kind of hold your course until these things rise again? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually, as mentioned, started in 2018. And the idea for us in 2018 was not exactly to be a part of the NFT space. I had actually written my first blog about NFTs all the way back in 2017, which is the year that they were founded. And I understood the concept of NFTs quite well. However, Pinata was launched with this idea of just managing what's called off-chain data or, or data storage, essentially, uh, that can't be stored on-chain. And so when we launched, we knew NFTs would be a great use case for us. But back then, there was like you know four people out there that were building with NFTs. And so it wasn't a big market. As the market, the NFT market started taking off, we started to see this in you know late 2019, or early 2020. When NFTs started to become, you know, really big, and then you know they exploded in 2021. But what's unique about us and our business model is our business model was not built on the idea that basically making money off of how much an NFT is worth. So I always like to tell people that uh, our business model is based on the idea that a one dollar NFT consumed a million times makes us more money than a million dollar NFT consumed once. And so, you know, we didn't get all of the upside of the crazy mania associated with the NFT space, but we're getting relatively none of the downside. And so we're still growing month over month and we still see people coming into the NFT space. However, it's not the, uh, you know, the crazy flashy headlines of million dollar NFTs. Well, I mean, I mean, I know a lot of retail, I mean, NFTs are great when you have a physical product to it. I mean, I get the whole, you know, the board apes, Yacht Club. I mean, get all that. It's all the images. It was so crazy. And it was laughable that someone would spend millions of dollars on an image. Because at the end of the day, it's just a JPEG. And people right. are posting copies on Facebook. And I saw somebody just get completely aggro and create like this Facebook war in a conversation. You know, how dare you share this? You know, you're stealing this. But it's a JPEG. I could go on and just shoot a JPEG on anything on my screen right now, share it with you. You know, I mean, it's just, so there was no like rules or regulations to this. Right. And then, and I know why the fashion industry, and I, I get a lot of people are using it, but right now it just became like, we, we came off COVID. We have the metaverse, we're in Web3. It was like, everybody just wanted some big new pretty thing to feel like yep. they're coming back to normal. But I know a lot of people who have spent millions of dollars on NFTs, they're not worth shit right now. And it's so <laughs> yep. funny. But then you're seeing these big brands really move into the metaverse with the NFTs. And like right now, I think NFTs idea was good, but I think what is brilliant about some of these tech companies, and I want to get your opinion on this, because NFTs are really meant now to be used as utility vehicles to capture data from people. You know, we all have to say accept cookies. We all have those privacies, but NFTs are now being utilized as a data collector, which I think is a brilliant use of the technology. I think that's what the NFT should be used for, especially if you have an NFT or, or you know, you're doing, you know, one of these avatars, you're moving through the metaverse, buying stuff, reading and doing stuff. It is such a good way to leave a digital footprint so people can collect yep. your data. Is, I mean, in my opinion, is that's a brilliant way to use an NFT. NFTs are not commodity to buy and sell. It's a data for big companies to track 
buying patterns and customer behavior. Is that where you're seeing NFTs are going or am I a little off track there? Yeah, so we we always look at NFTs as a tool to, yeah, kind of along those lines is to manage data in, in some form or another with, you know, consumers that might be managing, you know, their data footprint and their buying patterns. If you see, you know, somebody has a, an NFT, a board ape, and they also have a doodles, that's a leading indicator to you that they might like this or that, and, and you can market to them in a, a certain way. But we also do see it as a way to exchange data. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be valuable. It can be worth absolutely zero, and it's it's more of just a permissioning mechanism. But these, these NFT projects and apps are using them to uh, give people exclusive content. Uh, they're using them to, you know, kind of, like you were saying, learn more information about that person. And it's giving the end consumer that has that crypto wallet the ability to manage manage their data and manage their content in a new way. And I think it's a much more open environment and is going to be really exciting to think about what different kind of business models people are going to come up with with NFTs and these consumers having these crypto wallets. Yeah, no, and it's funny because like, you know, I know the whole thing with crypto and the whole altcoin and all that industry drop. And I know people are now saying this, you know, before you have to use ETH, you had to convert it over, you had to buy, sell the gas fees, you have to get ETH to buy these NFTs. Now there's companies starting to say, hey, we don't need to go that route. We could just use your credit card, go on and just process it like you would a Zelle or like PayPal, your online shopping. You don't have to go through your wallets, your crypto wallets anymore. Now, I don't yep. know, do you think that's going to help boost the NFT market because it's going to be easier? There's like less of a barrier to entry. Now, I'm not going to spend and go on an open seat, open bid on a board ape, you know, up to four or five hundred thousand. But if, hey, if you have an NFT that you're selling for like, say, a hundred or two hundred, and we'll just take your credit card, like Stripe or just process whatever on the back right. end on a Shopify. And I, I feel like that's an easier barrier to entry to buy those NFTs. So I think one, I want to get your pain. Is that going to change and make it easier? But then question follow up to that is, but if there's no value of what you get for that, but just that image, is that still going to push it back? Like three steps forward, two steps back. Great. It's easy. Give me your credit card. You could buy NFT for a hundred bucks, credit card, no coin base or no on coin wallets. But if I'm not offering you any strategic deliverables, what's the point of buying it? I feel like like we're this is just going to kind of go in circles until it kind of gets out of that velocity until somebody figures it out. Yeah. So the way I kind of think about it is it's definitely valuable to kind of put the crypto part of it into the background. So if you know, ultimately pretty much everybody has a credit card. And if you want to run a business, you want to go where the market is. And I think, you know, consumers are comfortable with credit cards. And as you alluded to, wallets are very difficult. There's a lot of complexities that go into it that make it difficult to use for the end consumer. However, for the, the, the business itself, again, I think it's very interesting, the new business models that these projects are able to create. And I always kind of talk about it like this is, you know, with YouTube, they're taking 80% or 90% of the ad network or the ads revenue that are being played in front of your, your videos. 
With NFTs, effectively what you're doing is you're putting the control back in the creator's hands so that they can create whatever business model they want. If they want to sell it for $100 or $200, they can do that. If they want to run an ad network, they can do that. If, you know, whatever they can come up with, they can do. And, and that's where I really start to get excited and think the future of kind of Web3 is going to be about that, putting, putting the business models back in the hands of the creators. Yeah. No. So why did you decide? I mean, why well, you were at um, in the auto racing industry, practice, yeah. right? <laughs> Working on BD data strategy. What made you leave that industry to go form Pinata to get into the NFT space? Yeah, absolutely. So like many people, you know, I, I bought some crypto back in the day. So in 2015, I bought some Bitcoin and became interested in it. Now, I'm not really big on kind of like the financial trading aspect of things. I was really just kind of interested in it from a curiosity standpoint. And then I learned about Ethereum in 2016 and really got interested in, you know, the concept of smart contracts and, and where that was going to go. And, you know, it was just kind of self-teaching myself about this technology. And then in April of 2017, I decided to quit my job and just jump into the into the space. And, you know, my goal was to create a company, something like Pinata. But when I had quit in April of 20 or April of 2017, I wasn't, you know, exactly sure where I was going to go or what the company would be. I just wanted to be in the space. And I knew if I was there, good things would happen. And, and ultimately they have. That's so funny. So I'm going to ask you a question. I know this is kind of off to be in track. Do you think this whole crash of you know, the value of the Bitcoin, of Bitcoin and crypto. I mean, I know I did my wallet a while ago. I probably have lost eight, nine grand in the past year. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like, I'm not into the trading aspect of it. I was just more about the innovation and, you know, seeing where it went and everything. But I mean, what do you think of the smart contrast? Because if everything is kind of, and we all know that when we see a new technology come to market, it is like the wild, wild west, you know, it blows up is that it's a hyped up bubble. It's a hype bubble and everybody goes crazy and then everything burns out, blows up. The few last few standing are the ones that have that innovation and leadership to really think beyond what it does today, but what is it going to utilize for down the road in the future, like NFTs being used as a utility. So I think those are the few, very few companies that actually get through these mini bursts, bubble bursts of hyper bubbles when it's just a big hype for a short period of time. But smart contracts were built on the NFT crypto market. And the whole thing has kind of gone south. I think it's going to be a minute before it comes back. And if parts of it even do come back, it's going to come back as a different type of, like you said, vehicle for other purposes that are more sustainable. Are the yep. smart contracts going to um, kind of outright all this? Or is that, was that kind of more of a hype bubble just because we had bigger access to NFTs and all the crypto? Yeah, so I've been uh, since I you know quit in April of 2017. I think I've been through three or four different like 90% pullbacks in the market, and I've seen you know multiple kind of iterations and cycles of like these buzzwords, whether it's smart contracts or NFTs or DAOs or you know name any of them. They've all been around since 2017, and and they kind of get rebranded and and reflavored in in different ways. But what I think ultimately happens is, you know, a couple companies out there actually find good use cases and are able to kind of build the next step. And then, you know, it cools off. It's not in the media. Nobody's talking about it. And, you know, the people that stick around do build that next use case, whatever that next use case is going to be. And then people get excited again and, you know, things start 
Well, I think going it's, out of, it's sustainability yeah, yeah. because when the NFTs came out, I'm like, this isn't sustainable. This is, I mean, okay. And my opinion is obviously just my opinion. Okay. But I'm like, God, this is a joke. I mean, it's, it's, it's an NFT. It is all it is, is a fucking JPEG. I come yep. on. Is it really worth spending millions of dollars? I saw some guy on Facebook bragging about spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on board ape and i'm thinking it back in my head you're out there bragging publicly to think you're so cool but if you break it down really break this down it's like well how smart are you to spend almost a million dollars on a jpeg that's a fad it's just not i mean so that's kind of makes you like an idiot you're bragging about being an idiot that you're wasting throwing millions of dollars on a jpeg all jpegs are were called nfts so somebody out there can make tons of money when the market was volatile coming out of COVID. So whoever had that ingenious idea, hey, let's take advantage of the billions of people with billions of dollars, make shitloads of money because they're just too stupid to realize they're just paying an image that anybody could cut, paste, and screenshot and snap anywhere. That was just my opinion for what it was worth. I really dumbed it down. But like, you know, it's like if you look at gaming, gaming, the gaming's gaming. It was big in the industry, just became esports. Esports is just gaming. It's just like you said. It's just rebranding itself to hype up a whole different level of gaming competitions to make more money to drive a different market feed. I mean, if you look at, you know, AR, VR, yeah, it was, remember it was huge. Everybody was like, so my God, the classes, the 3D, I mean, everything, very, um, next VR, very few companies survived that. Everybody jumped in that bandwagon, but the few people who actually figured the experiential side of this ongoing on a different level as utility they're the ones who actually are still standing. 99% of the industry, every time we hit a new hyper bubble, ends up disappearing because they didn't really understand the foresight of what can this go beyond just making me a quick buck and make me feel like, you know, I'm a good person today, which kind of goes back to the whole running a business based on your ego. So that's a different right. conversation. <laughs> but I, I feel like, but I feel like we see a lot of that every time we hit a new hyper bubble and it I know a lot of people, I'm sure you do, that are, hey, I'm an expert. I'm an AR expert. I'm a VR expert. I'm an esport expert. Oh, my God. I'm now an AI expert. Oh, now I'm an NFT. Oh, I'm a crypto expert. And I'm like, you are an expert in every three-letter word in the past three years, but you yeah. actually don't know shit. You're just people just trying to say they're an expert in all these new three-letter words to make people think they're important, to give them money. But it's like, Go back to what you're good at, because what you're good at is just trying to scam everybody thinking you're an expert in every new three-letter word, and you're not. Somebody like you said, who was dry, like you, like you were driving, moving into the blockchain NFT market years ago before it became a hyper bubble. Seeing right. beyond utilization, you know, it's going to bubble up. It's going to be big for the wrong reasons. But then as it tapers off, you, you see the sustainability long-term. Those are the true leaders that I like that we talk to, that we see, then 99% of the industry who's on social or at these shows, they really aren't. They don't know what they're doing. We have a client and somebody said, hey, we want to do an NFT. He decided six months ago, after when the market was tanking, he was going to create his own web agency. Right. We had a client who was his first and only client. He missed the mark, didn't know what he was doing, is desperately struggling. And I'm like looking at this like, this is why people should not jump on every three-letter word because they see it as a quick money grab. And yeah, just, absolutely. So 
it's just the leadership aspect of saying you're a leader, you have an agency, you know what you're doing to me. Such a scam with so many of these independent people saying they have an agency when they just started it months ago. Or Pinata has actual legacy in the industry. You've been around for like five years now. Yeah. Or you four or five years. And you guys are using it as, yeah, as a blockchain, as a delivery. So I think it's amazing that you had the foresight trying to wrap up my super long winded um, <laughs> that you saw the foresight to actually see the utility and sustainability behind the market with Pinyard, which I think is, I mean, kudos to you for doing that. Yeah. And it's, you know, you have to, in that hype bubble, you have to make sure that you're not making moves that are putting yourself at risk, right? Like when all that excitement is happening and everybody, you know, around us is trading NFTs for millions of dollars and, you know, and, one year ago today, we were at 12 people and, and now we're at 45. While those people that were trading for millions of dollars no longer have, you know, NFTs worth anything, you know, we've been able to sustainably build a business and stay focused on kind of where we think the space is going to go. And that does take a lot of resiliency and you have to be able to, you know, kind of put on your blinders and, and not listen to the noise. And it's it's difficult to do. And I think the people you know, that really try to find value in a space are in it for the long term, are in it for the right reasons can do it. The people that aren't are pretty easy to identify, but also, you know, you can't, at least my style, I don't really call them out as it's happening. I'll just, (laughs) I'll let them fail over time. But it's, yeah, it's very difficult during those, those hype bubbles not to be tempted, if you will. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, we don't call out people. Oh, yeah, we kind of do. We're pretty good. <laughs> We're about 99% spot on when we, we can see through the we can see, see through the trees on this. I and mean, you can see through all the fray of who's going to be there long term and who's really not going to make it. And I do think it's important when we get into that early stage, the library. I mean, not to call people out, but to really almost call them out, but to weed out to identify where the long-term leaders are going to be early in the stages. Yeah, from a yeah. standpoint, it's a bigger fight. There's a lot of people out there. But when we can identify who these people are that have, you know, the strategy, who know the sustainability model that could outlast, it's not just like you said, jump in to see if you can make money and get out. I mean, those are the people that I think need to be recognized more in the early stages. And um, when we hit through these like phases of like a next new technology or next new idea. Yeah. And there was just like, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot of memes, I guess, about NFTs, especially during the hype bubble, like earlier NFTs are going to be worth more. And like, I already knew that was true. Wasn't true because, you know, I'd created an NFT in 2017 and early 2018 and nobody was buying those NFTs for me, from me. Right. Like just because they were early doesn't make them more valuable. Just the idea that all of them are collectibles was also ridiculous. You know, we always... (laughs) We always thought of them more as consumables, which ultimately means uh, the the price of them are, is probably going to zero. And you know, we were saying that we we were saying that these things really shouldn't be thought of as assets, and they should actually be thought of as consumables. But you know, what our our voice only carries so far. Yeah. Know? No, I love I love having this conversation with you because we were the same way on this side of the agency. We looked at a lot of NFTs and Web three companies because we're a PR firm. And we just said no. And I say, do I turn down the business? Do I take on a fly by the night company that's 
talking about, oh, these aren't consumables. These are going to increase in value first to market. And so we turned down a lot of them because we knew they were going to be for maybe three to six, nine months. They weren't going to pay bills at the I mean, we just knew this wasn't sustainable. But, you know, yep. when I look at the board apes and I'm sure they made it I and mean, they made a killing. But I know a lot of it is also PR. I mean, 97 percent of all companies, no matter where in the startup space play, 97 percent will fail within year three right. to five with no strategic PR. And I'm not talking just publicly read a press release. Yeah, utilize Twitter and utilize social. They got lucky, but I know they're hemorrhaging money too. I mean, it's just like you said, it's not a consumable. It's, I mean, and my kind of questioning, how many people out there that spent so much money on all these NFTs, how many are actually really sitting there kicking themselves like, oh shit, what the WTF? I just spent all this money and it's not worth anything. I will never be able to sell it. There's zero value to it. I think if you created an NFT and you sold it for millions, damn, it's like, God, should have thought of a better creative way to do an NFT. Because then, okay, those people are set, you know, because I mean, okay, well, how bad is it if you created two NFTs just playing around and you got like a few hundred grand or a million or two for it back in the heyday? That's great. But I feel like there's so many people who drop billions of dollars in this market so quickly. And those aren't there. You can't resell them. You can't right. do anything. They're worth a zero. So you just gave somebody like on the street, a few million bucks, who was a homeless person because you have nothing to show for it. And like, yep. I just feel like there's probably a lot of pent up anger out there that we don't know about <laughs> for people like shit, I'm 3 million short or this isn't worth anything. So, well, we won't see those people on social bragging anymore. But um, where, where do you see, I mean, given kind of all of this, where do you see Pinata going from this point forward? Yeah, absolutely. So again, we believe NFTs, specifically on the media side, are reconfiguring business models on the internet. And so what we're seeing is people are using NFTs to build their own business models related to whether it's video or audio, you know, we're seeing a lot of music use cases. And they're just using it, you know, not for the speculation, they're just trying to build their own internet business, um, and make sure that they can control, you know, their business models associated with whatever media it is that they're trying to sell. Um, and ultimately, what that's really turning into is this concept that we call app NFTs, where people are creating full-blown applications, much like you would see, you know, on your phone or, or wherever, even on your on your laptop, and they're attaching those to NFTs and selling those. And you know, that's basically just software sales, if you will, or SaaS uh-huh. or uh, those types of things. And it, it's kind of going back to web. I guess, two business models a little bit and, you know, making people actually have a real business and and provide real value. And, you know, it's not about the hype. What do you feel about like, you know, the whole Web3, the metaverse? I know NFTs became part of that as a token within the utility of being up there. But do you think that's sustainable? Do you think that's going to go through the same kind of bumps up? Nobody knows what the metaverse is. Everybody's still confused on Web3. The NFT kind of confuse people more since it tanked and it's not worth anything. I mean, do you think like, I mean, do you think it's gonna be the same process? Because you need the web 3.0 and the metaverse to run your, I mean, you don't, but for the most part, that's where the NFT utilization is going to play out. Do you feel yep. like it's going to evolve and shake out or do you think that's on the right trajectory moving forward? I feel like a lot of the current iteration of the metaverse isn't going to survive, but I think there are long-term you know, trends that are happening, which is like, you know, 
all the kids out there play Roblox. They buy, you know, tools and build games and like they do all of those things. And as they get older, they're going to want another environment to be in. Maybe it's a continuation of Roblox. Maybe it's some other version of a, of a metaverse. But going back to kind of like rebranding, the metaverse is really just gaming, but with like more of an open economy associated with it and, and more business models in it. And so like, I think it'll definitely be there, but it's not going to look like what it looks like today. I think it's so funny because we talked about this. If you look at gaming, that's all esports is, is gaming. You're gamifying everything. Now you're looking at, like you said, metaverse. Is this another another more advanced way to play a game to get involved in the game? It's, it's, it's the immersive experience, experiential. So all the Web3 is, is giving you a better experiential to be part of that game than you were able to years ago when the technology wasn't there to, and the infrastructure to handle it. So yep. if you think about the basis of what we're talking about. It's all gaming. It's just, it's gaming platforms. Why all yep. gaming companies are the only ones able to build metaverses because they know the multiplayer functionality and they know how to, and the integration. So we're basically talking about metaverse, Web3, and billions of dollars made and lost overnight. It's just a more advanced way to immerse yourself into another game. Like you said, but it's an open platform to actually buy, purchase physical goods while you're in there playing. Yep. Absolutely. I think we're going to simplify it down to the very basic. We're just talking about more advanced gaming. Right. With with like real economies, right? Like so yeah. the, the economies in them are much more open and, and much more free to operate so that you can uh, sell your version of an avatar, you know, what, whatever it is you're selling, whatever the digital good is. These gaming platforms with kind of a Web3 context are just more open for everybody to participate. I okay, so so my favorite part of this podcast is what you just said. Like I've talked to so many, I mean, so many people, agencies, clients who want to build metaverse. I mean, so much stuff. And none of these guys who are experts in Web3 metaverse space have ever really pulled back the layers to say what you just said, that all it is is gaming with an open economy attached to it. They're trying to make yep. it like it's some huge futuristic thing and make it bigger than it is. But when it comes down to it, I think. They're not analyzing it or they're, they're, they're like kind of not identifying what it really is. They're trying to figure out what it could be, what they want it to be. But there, nobody's ever said what it, Metaverse really, truly is right now. All it is is gaming with the open economy. Like that is yep. probably the most honest thing I've ever heard this past year and a half from anybody about what is truly what is this whole thing about. So this is super exciting. So is there anything exciting coming up that like where Pinata is going to be kind of like innovating, changing the landscape of all of this? Where are you going to take the company from here? Yeah, absolutely. So on our side of things, we're really focused on this concept of token gating. So, you know, early on, as you mentioned, it was just like JPEGs and people could copy the the content really easily, but there's this concept called token gating where it actually checks if you own the NFT. If you do, it, it then serves whatever the digital good is. So you get access to the content. And that is a big trend that has been happening over the last six months in the NFT space. And we have a product called submarine.me that is building out features and toolings around making that as easy as possible for creators to just point uh, content at an NFT and allow people to token gate that content based on whether or not somebody owns their NFT or not. So just adding tools and, and features to allow people, again, to build whatever business model it is that they want to build. So you guys are going to be announcing all these new features, I mean, over the next six to nine months, I assume. 
Yeah, so Submarine.me is actually already out there, but we're just expanding on it. Uh, we're seeing great traction with this concept and think it think it has quite a few opportunities for anybody in the NFT space to build with. So you guys, so just so I'm clear, you guys are not building the whole NFT. You're not going to get in, you're not involved in the whole building of the NFTs. You're just providing, creating the tools to expand, to utilize, to grow the market to where it's meant to be used. Yeah. So we've never minted and we've never created NFTs. We always just plug along with the NFTs and that's done kind of a couple of cool things for us. It's given us a really broad and horizontal view into the market because we get to work with every blockchain out there. So we're not pinned into one blockchain versus another one. We have every major blockchain that's building on top of us. And then the other thing that it allows us to do is, you know, there's still innovation with NFTs that are happening. And we get to work with those teams and, and understand like what the tokens in the NFT should actually look like. And we've chosen very specifically not to have opinions on that. And I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. You're taking the political view on that. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> this is, that was so awesome having you on. So for anybody, the best way to find you guys, where is the best way for people within this space to find Pinata? Yeah, absolutely. You can find us at pinata.cloud and then it's just pinata cloud on Twitter. And then my Twitter is at Kyle Tut, K-Y-L-E-T-U-T. That's the best way to get a hold of you, right? Yeah, absolutely. That is amazing that you've expanded your team from the small five, six people to like 40 right now. I mean, that's amazing. Like, I wish you guys all the luck. You've really kind of kept your head down to lead your team and get through all the controversy of the space. So it's really good to see companies like yours and talk to people like you who actually get it and know where that trajectory is versus just kind of like throwing darts at a board, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm having a ton of fun learning how to be a CEO and and learning how to lead people. And it's been a great ride for us going from, you know, a small team, like you mentioned, to over 45 people today. Yeah, yeah. Leading teams is difficult. It's not an easy. Is people say, "Oh, it's so easy. You can just own your own company, be CEO." It's not. We all make easy decisions. I mean, we all make easy decisions, and we can make an obvious easy decision. It's making the hard decisions with the class and grace you went into it. No matter the outcome, that makes a good CEO. It's failing publicly, but it's everybody should and does. It's how you pick yourself back up and move forward. That's what That's makes right. a good leader. You know, absolutely. So I, I feel like having startups. Isn't about the great idea, the great product. If you're going to make a decision to be in a startup and lead a team, you got to really step back and realize that's easy. How do I become a better and a good CEO and a leader and a knowledge leader in this space? That's the hard part because there's no roadmap for that. You know, yep. you just have to kind of have good people around you and figure it out. But I think bigger thing than just the product is having a good leader and figure out how to be a better CEO to people. Yeah, absolutely. I spend a lot of time um, working with my team on teaching them how to fail. Uh, I always talk about, you may look at me as a CEO now as if I knew what I was doing, but it was really just a bunch of failures in a row that I was learning from and trying to teach each individual teammate on Pinata the ability to to fail, learn from it and keep going. You know, the, the successes um, are fun, of course, but um, that's not really where the long-term success comes from. Um, it's it's really about learning from those failures and feeling that. At Pinata, our employees have a bunch of autonomy. We try to drive decision-making as deep down into the organization as possible. 
And what that ultimately means is, you know, you are responsible for making decisions. And with that, you know, there's ultimately going to be failure and, and you're going to have to learn as you come to Pinata how to deal with that and then grow from there. It's not about the success. It's a success of failing that really makes you a good leader. You have, I mean, we've all failed publicly. I mean, we do a lot of big events. We, I mean, we have the largest mobile awards for mobile tech entertainment in this 15th year. I mean, see, have a PR firm. We have all failed. We've seen it. We've been behind the scenes, but it's just, it's, it's the success of your failures. To me, that's your success. How you're getting back up, how you pivoting, making a decision, having a plan B without destroying, you know, people's levels of confidence without making them feel like they're not appreciated. I feel like there's so much success in failures, but I think people don't, they don't see it or they don't accept it because they all want to lead with their egos. I don't fail. I know what I'm doing more than you, but I feel like all the successes of being a good leader is in the failures, not in the successes and wins, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's, you know, what I try to talk with my team all the time about. And for some people, it's a new feeling for them. You know, they may have came from a place where they were kind of protected from that, or maybe, you know, they had a manager above them that, you know, kind of made all the decisions for them. So they didn't actually learn how to make decisions. And we sometimes do have to kind of like show people what it's like to to make decisions and deal with the failures. Well, I think it's also being a CEO. And I always say never run your company by your ego. And I think as a CEO, we have to admit humbly, admit that we screwed up, that we failed an individual, a client, a process. If we, I mean, I love learning from CEOs, other CEOs who talk about their failures more than successes, because I learn more. I'm like, okay, I went through that. Or how did you handle that? I have more respect for another CEO who has fought through a tough time and has talked to me about their failures up front and how they became who they were today because they learn from those successes coming out of those failures. So like, like if you think about when we're pitching people, right? Cause we're pitching clients all the time. And as a CEO, when I'm on panels and stuff, I don't start off with, oh, all these great wins. I'm like, okay, well, here's how we screwed up. Here's where I missed to be, but here's how we pivoted. And people are like, well, wait, that was flawless. Well, because I made the mistake and I learned from right. it. So I think like there's a, that authenticity when it comes to leadership and being a leader and admitting where you failed, how you failed, figuring out how to pick it back up, keep pieces in place, letting your team know, hey, you're not perfect. And if you are going to fail, step in, give me advice. Because we only learn by those, like Larry Ellison used to always say, you know, billionaire, super, I mean, like his Oracle. I mean, how can you not be having you can be proud of that? But he always said publicly is he wasn't the smartest guy in the room. His team around him who were smarter than him are the ones that built Oracle. You know, and there's a lot of these things, these great people, these tech geniuses or leaders that we look at and we all see, oh yeah, he's been an asshole. He is an ego. He's this, he's this, that company. But when you really know them and meet them or see them on these like intimate farsight chats and run into them, they're actually very humble and they actually do admit, I am here because my team got me through this, not because I am the beyond all God of all things technology. And I think those are the people who really know the backstory to the story. To me, that's where the respect is earned a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I, I tell my team all the time is lead with your insecurities because like it makes you more authentic. It makes you more of a human. It shows, you know, you're, you're able to overcome those. I tell my team, you know, before I quit, 
my job and jumped into blockchain back in 2017, like I used to have anxiety about phone calls or like it was very difficult for me to do phone calls. And, you know, now you know, I'm on stage and presenting and obviously I can do phone calls and, and all that kind of stuff. But I talk to them about my insecurities all the time. And it helps me as a leader to get over them and, and like, you know, grow as a person. And, and hopefully it does the same for my team. Yeah, I think it's always important because I used to work for a big agency as a director before I started my own agency like 16 years ago, 15 years ago. And it's intimidating when you're working for these big companies when you're young, in your 20s, and you have these CEOs and these VPs and, you know, they yell and scream at you for their mistakes. They don't make mistakes. You're the younger peon on the totem pole. So you're going to be the one who takes the blame for it. So I do think as we've evolved in technology, as agency startups have evolved, and CEOs have gotten younger. I do love it that you have a team that knows they're not going to be intimidated. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to own your mistakes, but you're also going to hopefully have them learn from you and grow along with you. And I just, I, we always say, like we always, in all of our agency stuff, like I'm always a big person to say, own your own leadership, good, better, and different. Just own your leadership. It doesn't matter yeah. if you fail or not. That's who you are. That's the path you chose own it, learn from it, because there's a lot of successes and failures that we just don't see every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm still learning every day. I, I know that I'm relatively young in my career, so I still have a ton to learn too. Yeah. Now, I think it's awesome. It was so good having you on the show call. I mean, I, I do love Pinata. I do wish you guys the best of luck. Definitely keep us, you know, in the loop. Love to have you back on down the road when um, things evolve again, because it seems like, you know, it's always good to figure out who's sticking it through and who's, you know, pivoting in this. But for anybody, you know, who needs help, pinata.cloud, right? Yep. Pinata.cloud. Awesome. It was so good having you on. Hell, I so appreciate it. And then we look forward to catching up with you again down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Great. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.